welcome back to Overdrinkers. Uh, uh, we've already discussed uh, Lilu from The Fifth Element and Sarah Connor from Terminator, and now we're just going to dive right into uh, Bernadette's choice. Yeah, Kill Bill. Kill Bill, Beatrix Kiddo, Uma Beatrix Thurman. Kiddo. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about Beatrix Kiddo at length, and we will, but the beautiful thing about Kill Bill is that it's, other than Bill and Michael Madsen's character... They're a group of badass women. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, they murder. And you have to <laughs> kind of come to terms with if you're okay with them murdering and if their murders are justified. But it's a bunch of badass women just trying to fight and represent mm-hmm. and <laughs> show that it doesn't have to be a man's world. Like, mm-hmm. women are intelligent. They can sit back. And, like, Oreni Shii, she does heavy intelligence work before she goes in for the kill. So it's a awesome interpretation of what a woman does to make the fight real and for Beatrix Kiddo your first introduction to her because as we talked about in the previous films you're introduced to the men in the film before you're introduced to the women and Mm. Kill Bill the first scene is Beatrix on her back bloodied her beauty ripped away from her Mm. and you see her as a human being broken on the floor and this isn't her strongest moment her strongest moment was when she decided to leave because she becomes pregnant but decides that she wants something more for her life than just being told who to kill and when to kill them and takes that for herself and decides to make a better life for herself and then you see her bloodied on the floor being told you can't leave and if you're gonna leave we're gonna kill you and her saying all right well i'm gonna get right back up (laughs) And show you what's what. And come for you hard. Um, So we see her at her most vulnerable moment, but not at her weakest when you see her bloodied on the floor. She's near death, but I wouldn't say that that equates to weak Mm -mm. in in the context of this story. In fact, it might be the most empowering moment in the film to see her say, all right, well, you tried to push me down. I've tried leaving in a very passive way. But all right, if we want to get aggressive, let's get aggressive mm-hmm. about this. Because in that scene, too, which I love, she is. She's just, like, a mess. And he's over her. And she just says, "What you know, she's not asking for her life. She's not pleading with him. She just says, Bill, it's your baby. And then he shoots her in the head. She, she could have said anything else. You know, like, don't do this. Please don't do this. She was just like, hey, guess what? <laughs> it's your baby. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I think is very powerful within itself. It is a, um, a, a sign of true strength to not plead and to not ask for a life. Just kind of like relaying information and that person can make the decision that they choose. And even when he tried to kill her, she wouldn't die. <laughs> she just wouldn't go down. Mm-mm. He even says that himself. He's like, we put a bullet in her head and we beat the hell out of her. And she's just, she still just kept on ticking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I love the, well, the, uh, the, the assassination squad, Divas, mm-hmm. is what it is. <laughs> Deadly <laughs> Viper Assassination Squad, um, is, uh, comprised, uh, majorly of women. There are mm-hmm. three women to the two men. And Bill is kind of like in charge. I don't think he's kind of really a, 
you know, he's in charge of them. He's like the Charlie to their angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's not really, so really it's, it's three men, women to one guy. And the one guy is just there because he just happens to be the boss's brother. Mm-hmm. That's true. Let's mm-hmm. be honest here. That's the only reason that, <laughs> that's the only reason Bud even like stands up to these women. Like, uh, Oren Ishii, mm-hmm. Beatrix Kiddo. Mm-hmm. L. And L is, is, um, Daryl Hannah's name. Mm-hmm. And then you have something green. Oh, that's right. So four to two. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. I oh, was yeah, just no, getting that okay. whole Nikita thing mixed Green's? up right there. No. Veronica Green. Veronica Green. Veronica Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Nikita's the daughter. I always forget about her because like well, she she's, she's out so out. quick. Yeah, yeah I mm-hmm. always forget about that. And that's one of the best, uh, that's one of the best scenes in both the movies. Is, oh, uh, definitely. Oh, that, that Kaboom uh, cereal box is one of the best props <laughs> And then the when world. she talks to the kid afterwards, it was Ooh. like, if you want revenge after this, come find me. To the little girl. And thus was born many a YouTube fan trailer for Kill Bill Volume 3. <laughs> yeah, where love- they just take some black actress that's in an action movie, and they're like, yeah, we'll cut together scenes like that and make it seem like... Uh, Nikki Green, it's coming yeah. back. I, I love sure how hope says- so, man. I really hope that he, that, that he does it. You know, he's expressed interest in it in a way that one naturally would where it's like well you made one and two why don't you make a trilogy and you've got this open thing right there for it but i honestly feel like if he were to make another one he'd have to do another two yeah you know that's just kind of the thing like what makes kill bill such a good movie and i say that in the sense of volume one and volume two being one film is that is is the huge disconnect of a a film that is uh heavily inspired by Eastern culture with a little bit of Western thrown in there, and then a film that is heavily inspired by Western culture with a little bit of Eastern mm. thrown in there. And mm, that's yeah. what makes them really fun. Like even when you look at the DVD cases, you know, uh, the first one is yellow and black, mm-hmm. and then the other one is red. red and yellow. And it's like they're these two very different films, even though they very much bleed over naturally. They kind of just pick right up where the last one left mm. off. And that's a commentary to like that meta uh, progressive nature that Quentin Tarantino was doing with this film, not just with having several insanely badass female characters, but just kind of introducing, like using spaghetti westerns and old kung fu movies with this kind of. Uh, I, I read a review once that said something along the lines of he took uh, the B movie and turned it into. Uh, grade A pop art and I think that's the best way to explain what he did with Kill Bill because everything from like Jackie Brown mm-hmm. to Inglorious Bastards Inglorious Bastards he kind of figured out what he was doing now like he kind of figured out how to mess around with that timescape and how he likes to tell movies with different times and everything like that and mm-hmm. flashbacks and out of order things and he kind of perfected that with Inglorious Bastards and now he's kind of Django Unchained Hatefully, have more or less been straightforward mm-hmm. with little flashbacks thrown in there to kind of tell more character stuff. But in Kill Bill, it's so all over the place. It actually, so when, like in the first one, when we cut to Orenishi's uh, backstory Ooh. and it's a cartoon, oh, I love that. it doesn't even feel. Uh, it doesn't feel off. It yeah, feels it natural feel and all yeah. because you've already been living in this cartoon world for long enough. I mean, I think at that point we've really only seen. You know, the scene with her versus uh, Vivica A. Fox, uh, Veronica Green. Vernita Green? Veronica Vernita Green. Vernita Green? 
I don't Ooh, recall. Should have done the research. Yeah, nice research. Yeah, <laughs> what was your, yeah. What was your yeah, name? Because she was like, I should have been motherfucking black. Woman. Copperhead. Yeah. Copperhead. She was Copperhead. <laughs> and she's also a the, mom who the left bride. the business. Oh, so. She's also the mom that left the business, but who knows how she did it? Well, she wasn't romantically re- like related to Bill at all. So That's true. I think that had she a could just big part leave, yeah. to do mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, yeah he, Bill, Bill likes blondes. Yeah, it's his controlling factor. Mm-hmm. Beatrix and L. That yeah. guy in volume two, the, the, the father figure of Bill, like, Ooh. he'll put you in the head. <laughs> he oh, yeah. He would have loved to see you again. Esteban. Yeah, he's so good. He's like always like. Michael kind Parks. Of, like, Michael yeah. Parks. He, play, he plays the sheriff in the weird. first one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's, he's the same dude. And it's like, he plays the same character in all these Tarantino or Tarantino esque films, you know, mm-hmm. like he's in. Um, uh, Death Proof, mm-hmm. and I believe that he's also in Planet Terror. I'm not as familiar with Planet Terror. I watched Planet Terror once. I dug it, yeah. but like Death Proof, I've watched. Oh, Death Proof is Death probably Death if you were to put a, if put a gun rules. to my head and a lie detector test on my arm and ask me what my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is. You know, I love saying Inglorious Bastards. I love saying uh, uh, Kill Bill Volume One, and I love saying uh, Jackie Brown. Oh. But I, I honestly, Jackie Brown is probably his best movie. I think it's his best. Nobody could have made that movie work except for him. And he wrote it, but not directed, or he directed. He directed but not wrote. it, but he didn't. He didn't write this. He wrote the screenplay. He didn't come up with the story. Gotcha. It's yeah. uh, from um, uh, Rum Punch. Right. Um, I would say Death Proof because Death Proof is just like it's just so much goddamn fucking fun. Oh my god, it's so I much just fun. love that. Can movie. I just tell you, the first time I saw that movie, I was in a room filled with women. You know, the first half of the movie, it's all black and white. It's about these women just kind of like hanging out, going out to the bar, and this guy just... Well, no, it's not in black and white. No? The first half of the movie is about the group of women that are kind of acting a little differently than how the second group act. Totally. And the second group, the first half of that story is told in black and white. And then it cuts to color. Right, okay. Yes. Anyway. Sorry. At the end, where they're all just standing around that guy, taking turns, punching him. Mm Mm-hmm. Me in this in this whole room of women, we just started applauding. Oh, yeah. that's, Without, whole, that's what you're yeah, supposed we're just to like, do. Yeah. I mean, it's just like Quentin Tarantino. Like it's like, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. I I don't think there's a single female character in that movie. Other than uh, the waitress, who they don't tip, or they, <laughs> they, they tip. <laughs> <Who> they <don't laughs> tip. <laughs> but Mr. Pink does not right. tip. And then, and then immediately jerk. in Pulp Fiction, you've got you know all you've got Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta. All of these big machismo characters, and, and in Uma the Thurman. middle you got Uma Thurman, who is again. When you think Pulp Fiction, you may think Samuel L. Jackson with the big afro and John Travolta with the long hair. That's obviously not his hair <laughs> in the suits. But Mia when I when I when I think I, yeah, Mia Wallace. Like I think that 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 cover of Pulp Fiction with her like on the bed with all the Pulp Fiction uh, comic books, mm-hmm. all the pulp comics, and and like although I always think that she has a lollipop. Because of Plump Fiction, have you ever seen that movie? No, there's no. this movie called Plump Fiction. Plump Fiction that was like this kind of like scary movie esque parody on Tarantino and independent films. And it on the cover, it's the girl that plays the Mia Wallace character, but she's got like she's a little bit wider than because uh, she's plump. Because she's plump, <laughs> plump. and Duh. she's and she's like got a lollipop. And every time I think about Pulp Fiction, Plump Fiction is just in, there in the back of my head like a like a parasite. It won't, oh. it won't get out. Uh, yeah, but, but no, the... Death Proof too. Like tons of tons of female, strong female characters, and 
Inglorious Bastards. There is a whole story in that about that is essentially just a breakdown of like the male gaze Mm. where this guy just thinks that and and the male privilege where the guy just thinks that because he's this hero and he's so well respected, he can have his pick of the litter and pick anybody that he wants. And as as Shakespeare would have written it, he falls in love with a Jew who (laughs) has had her entire life ruined by people just like him. And she's just like, no, dude, Mm. get away from me. And Django Unchained, again, very heavily, very heavily male. Same with Hateful Eight. And Hateful Eight is probably the closest one that will come to arguing Quentin Tarantino's um, tenacity to represent women in a different light than how they usually are in film, mm-hmm. to represent them in a strong light or, or a real light, even if they're not strong. Like, this is how some women can be. And they're not, uh, you know, they're not... Um, they're not the archetypes of what a of what a woman should be. They're like, this is what this woman is. And the way that he makes that real is he goes, this is why she's like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've got, you know, like uh, uh, in, in Hateful Eight, there's only one mm-hmm. female character ex- except for like, you know, an entire house of women that just gets blown away. Yeah. To set, spoiler alert. <laughs> ah, shit, sorry about that. Whoops. <laughs> but the one uh, female character is... Uh, arguably the worst one of them all like these are criminals and bounty hunters and murderers and this is hateful eight this is Mm -hmm. hateful eight oh it's great you got it i got it you can borrow it uh (laughs) it's um she is the worst one of them all because she is smart she is plotting she understands the long game she's not like i want to get away she i want to get away but right now is not the time i'll wait until just the right time and when she picks that time, it's absolutely perfect. She doesn't just want to get away, but yeah, she wants to win. She wants and, to win. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And that's the awesome part of it is that. And I do, I agree with you. I think she's probably the ugliest character in that film, and it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. you don't even care. It doesn't strip her of any dignity at all. She's just disgusting, spitting blood most of the movie. Really? Mm. Yeah, just. In handcuffs, just, like, right. chained away, but it doesn't take anything from her. Like, mm-hmm. her captivity gives her even more mm. to work with. Yeah. yeah That's a great film, too. I don't want to ruin it, actually, because I do want you to watch it, because the yeah. ending's great. Uh, so, spoilers. But the ending kind of does take this shift from uh, a commentary on racism to a commentary on this kind of naturalistic, uh, sexist agenda that can be inside the proud male. Mm-hmm. That they don't even realize it's there, but some, I think that it's, it's dark, but I think that some men actually get a certain type of pleasure in the misery of women, mm-hmm. whether it's them inflicting the misery on it or just getting to see them like, that's right. You don't make as much as us. Mm-hmm. And I'll argue to the teeth. Like it's crazy with the whole wage gap thing that's been happening lately where it's like really coming to the front. It's been going on forever, but it's really starting to come to the front. And there's people that are actually like the wage gap doesn't exist. And it's like, where were you born? What are you talking about? Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence were just in a movie together. And I'm fairly certain that Jennifer Lawrence is more famous than Chris Pratt. And I bet you he made more money than her. Mm -hmm. His name's first, I think. I think so. I don't know. That's... Is that out in theaters now, that movie, where they're in space? Passengers? It was Passengers, out last right. Christmas. Or a couple Christmases Hashtag ago. Hashtag not my Keanu Reeves film. 
Keanu Reeves <laughs> no, was originally Christmas. supposed to be in it. It was supposed to be Keanu Reeves, uh, yeah. That would have changed the whole thing. Well, you know, like, he's he's uh, he's, he's not really lovey anymore. Oh, he's I got still the love him. Yeah. John Wick 2. Go see it. <laughs> John Wick 2. I was say, there's only enough room for, like, one Martin Sheen-esque character in Passengers, <laughs> and it was already taken up. Aww. So, Michael Sheen, Michael Sheen. Michael, Michael Sheen. Sheen. No, no, I got you. Did you um, see, uh, did you see, speaking of Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. because we've got time. Yeah. Um... Did you see uh, Nicholas Winning reference The Neon Demon? I did not see oh, that. But it's really fanning, pretty. The Fanning sister? Yeah. The younger one? Or is yeah. that Dakota? I th- uh, no, it's not Dakota. It's, it's her L, sister. L, L, L Fanning, I think it is. I right? haven't seen it, but it Yo, looks great. Ladies, check <laughs> ladies. that flick out. <laughs> okay. Not only because like everybody's absolutely amazing in it, and it's this great commentary on how women are just like essentially mentally beaten into thinking that they need to be a certain way and look a certain way and do a certain thing to attain a certain level of status. It's mm-hmm. fucking fantastic in that. But Keanu Reeves I didn't even know he was has this silly little beard in this thing. <laughs> and he plays this silly little character. And it's amazing. It's one of Keanu Reeves' best performances because it's so isolated. He's not in it a lot. Beard. And let me just say this. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put two words together that you never thought that you would hear. Keanu Reeves... Mountain Lion. Oh. Watch the Neon Demon. Okay. Okay. Right. I'll have to check it out. So, <laughs> redirecting <laughs> back <laughs> from the Hateful Eight <laughs> back to Kill Bill. Well, yeah, just um, as a side note, you were talking about all of these strong, powerful women in Tarantino flicks. And yet, with putting Reservoir Dogs aside, I do think that Django Unchained has the least consequential female role, but it's still not a bad female role. Mm-hmm. It's still a very strong and powerful yeah. role. Like, she's he the really damsel represent... in distress, but she's never really presented in a way where she's like she's constantly fighting back while they're right. trying to get to her. We find out like she's been through hell because right. she's not giving in. Like when they get there, she's literally locked in a box. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. haven't seen that one. Either, I haven't. <laughs> Sorry, dude. like when you watch one Tarantino film, you, you start talking about all the other ones because that's what makes him such a provocative director. Is that even though his films aren't literally connected or are kind of loosely connected in that mm-hmm. Tarantino verse idea where there's like you know red apple cigarettes. Well, no, there's actually like things, a lot of bleed through. A lot of bleed through where like you know people are smoking the same cigarettes and like uh, a character from Reservoir Dogs is the brother of a character from Pulp Fiction because they have the same last name but it's never it's never spoken out in that and like I think a character in Pulp Fiction is mentioned in Reservoir Dogs I think they mention Marcellus Wallace Mm -hmm. in Reservoir Dogs before he becomes an actual character played by an actor so there's all that stuff so it's really hard to talk about one right without talking about others right and like Kill Bill the Kill Bill movies how they're seen in the Tarantino universe is that have you seen Inglorious Bastards? Yes. The Nazi one with Brad Pitt? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nope. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, in Inglorious Bastards, uh, it, which takes place in this overall Tarantino universe, um, in the 40s, during World War II, America is successful in uh, assassinating Hitler. They kill Hitler before he can do any more harm. And he's killed in a movie theater. 
And so that has this idea of generating where pop culture built in this world from the 40s is now based around the idea that the worst war in the world was won in a movie theater. So everybody's obsessed with pop culture and movies. That's why everybody in Tarantino movies are constantly talking about film right. all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, which is a really nice way to get around the fact that it's written by a dude that likes film. Film, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's the only thing I know how to write, so I created a history and, a war and an alternate reality where which that's I can do why. It. He rationalizes it. And Kill Bill and Death Proof, too, and Planet Terror, which is directed by Robert Rodriguez, but it was made in tandem, in the are, are movies that would be released in the Tarantino world. These are movies that people would want to go see. These hyper-pop art Mm -hmm. kind of films that are just like so cheesy but they still kind of work mm -hmm. and yeah well yeah he it's hard crafted, to talk about one without the other yeah he crafted death proof for uma thurman's stunt double zoe bell who does all of her stunts in kill bell and then he made a movie yeah. death proof for her for her yeah to to act in i think in death proof too they're listening to a radio station that also plays during reservoir dogs or yeah i think there's, there's like that lot, radio like station radio so much overplay, crossover a lot mm -hmm. of crossover the whole thing <laughs> yeah what's what's her name in death proof the the Sorry, radio Bell? host oh the radio host she's um, got that uh jungle got jungle, julia? jungle julia jungle julia right. i just jungle imagine julia. her leg like flailing through the air because uh, you know the whole um her introduction stuff. is all about her long legs and how she's walking. Uh, like yeah walking and how she positions them in the car and leaning and that's just the oh, uh detached so leg much. flying yeah. through the air i've heard tarantino has like a foot thing and i'm kind of okay with that like if he's, <laughs> right. that, that makes total sense i think, I think makes total sense because when <laughs> the uh, uma thurman's in the pussy wagon yeah and like forcing her toe to move mm -hmm. like move your big toe yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, and that's like, there's a shot of Uma Thurman, Mia Wallace walking across the carpet. The first time we're introduced to her, we see her feet, mm -hmm. foot, and there's that in Kill Bill. There's uh, him squishing an eyeball between uh, Uma Darryl. Thurman's uh -huh. feet, Daryl Hannah's eye, and... Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's crazy. And Uma Thurman's feet There's crazy. in, in Glorious Bastards, uh, she... she uh, the second toe Diane, so long. Diane Kruger, the... Um, the German right. uh, spy, she mm -hmm. breaks her foot, and there's a point where like he has to like put a shoe on her foot mm -hmm. to see if it fits. Like this kind of really dark take on like the Sleeping Beauty thing. And, Cinderella, like, and her foot's oh. broken. And uh, no, he's checking to see the other foot. Oh, okay, he's mm -hmm. like, oh my god, he's putting a shoe on her foot. No, no, no. no. <laughs> and then I think, uh, is there other feet stuff? I feel like there's gotta be. If but we went back we could and probably just dedicate a whole podcast to just feet stuff. stuff. Just we'll do our research. <laughs> That's, a great That's a great idea for a podcast. The yes. feet stuff. The feet coming at you. Oh man! But yeah, we're gonna take it one step at a time. You son of a bitch. Sorry. You mentioned the pussy wagon yep. earlier. Yeah, I did. And, um, I say this a lot. I say like taking it back, taking it back, and I think women, especially, it's important to take what men have put upon you as just a gender as a whole, mm -hmm. just the way we speak, the way we engage in society, the way we always have to constantly kind of be on our game of like protection, just to make sure that we're preserving ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Taking the pussy wagon on this journey of slaughter. Yeah. For men <laughs> yeah. It's just awesome the to me. The pussy died. <laughs> God, I love Michael Parks. Oh my God. He's the best. I wish he was my grandpa. <laughs> Michael Parks, if you're out there, grandpa. I love you, Pep Pep. I love you, Pep Pep. Oh, Tim and Eric are doing like a reunion tour. 
right now. Oh, now we're getting way off. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What? I've been thinking about that because it just released tickets, but all right. (laughs) Let's go back. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Beatrix Kiddo herself in it, again, like a lot of motherly uh, stuff. Uh, I'll be honest, I actually, uh, I saw these movies when they came out, and I saw the first one, fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. and was super psyched about the second one. The second one, I think, was only released like six months after. It wasn't yeah, even it was a full year. Like It was like, you just gotta yeah. wait after, wait through the summer and you get to catch the next one. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, I as a whole, the movie's perfect. And when you really gotta pick which one you like, it's the hardest thing in the world mm-hmm. because the first one, each one has these things that make the the original... Uh, of a franchise so good like the reason that most sequels don't surpass the original is because you love being um, introduced to that world Mm -hmm. and you also like how that world is tied up in that first story and there is no tie up really in volume one she's still going so without the second one the first one doesn't have an ending Mm -hmm. and without the second one the first one without the without the first one the second one doesn't have a beginning Mm -hmm. that's why it's really one film and that's why i like how it's not part one and part two it's volume one volume two it's a piece of a whole that we're Mm -hmm. supposed to read all together yeah and it's not linear at all either it's not linear, and that's why it's so much fun because you can just you get to jump throughout this world and really get uh exposed to this this uh fantasy assassin world it's a lot like john wick where you're like you're kind of introduced you haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> no. uh, it's a lot you're alone on that one sorry oh you haven't seen John Wick thanks Bernadette this is ridiculous it's you're introduced to this assassin world here, right? yeah, damn it shown these rules John and Wick. just kind of like given into this idea that like this is natural to these people these mm-hmm. people live day to day on a life of do or die and I love the fact that we never get to see these people in their heyday Really, the only one that's still kicking ass is Oranishi. She's in charge she, of a Japanese uh, Japanese syndicate, or is it Chinese? Mm-hmm. Which one is she? Is, is it Japanese? It? She's in there. Crazy, crazy, crazy eighty-eight. eight. Yeah. Which there weren't actually eighty-eight of them. It just no. sounds cool. It just sounds awesome. <laughs> oh boy, this bloody Mary. Go, go, all of them. This bloody Mary's really getting to me. I'm thinking just repeating lines from the film is making me cool. <laughs> It does. And that's like a movie like that. That's why Tarantino oh movies God. are so good because you just repeat lines and then you yes. feel cool. Mm-hmm. They, uh, like Samuel L. Jackson and a bunch of actors have said time and time again, there's nothing like reading Tarantino dialogue because you don't, you barely have to do anything with it. You just sound cool. Yeah. I will say, yeah, the Crazy 88 scene, what makes Kill Bill such an all-encompassing film about emotions and reactions is that in volume one you have that awesome crazy 88 scene mm. which is so beautifully choreographed it's like a dance such a delight to watch um and you have this like high octane battle and that's how the first volume ends and the second volume ends with a very intelligent heartfelt conversation between two people who idea. were linked mm-hmm. and very much in love with each other coming to terms with the fact that this isn't working we've wronged each other neither one of us has to die yep <laughs> like one of us is not leaving this room we've we done too un- much we to have each other we unfinished business baby yeah you ain't kidding yeah. and it's such like a subtle that's like the whole point of the film it's called kill bill and you lead up to this one scene and it's just so like understated 
and reserved and calculated. And it's nothing like the crazy 88. No. Mm-hmm. It's if there's like the a calm too. It creates the this, it creates yeah. this realism in this film, in these films that have uh, pretty much been built on um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it ends on this very somber, realistic moment where it's just like, I'm a mother who has to protect their daughter. But she didn't know that. Right. That's a huge that's part what, of the movie oh, that's is that what I was she doesn't know that the child first, is still alive. Right. When I first saw it, Kill Bill is a revenge movie. Mm-hmm. And I always figured, yeah, like I'm aware, I've seen the first one and I know that she lost her baby. But that was always, to me, and I think that might be kind of like my male ego in there, where I always thought the revenge was like, they killed her and ruined her life. I never considered it that it was a revenge story, like she's avenging the death of her mm-hmm. uh, daughter. And the life she could have had and with the her life, daughter. Right, I was always more like the life she could have had. They took that away. Yeah. And yeah. I always looked at it as like the metaphor for like getting out and they pulled you back in. And I never realized like, no, she's actually, she's she's going out there and avenging the death of her unborn child because in the only way that she knows how, mm-hmm. violence and murder. And... I realized it uh, maybe on like when they were released on DVD and I finally watched them both together and I was like, oh, actually, no, this is kind of doing that. I can't believe like, I can't believe that never occurred to me (laughs) because that makes the moment when she goes to kill Bill and she turns that corner and it's da-da-da-da. Mommy. Yeah. It's this, now she has lost everything that she's been avenging and now she's on a rescue mission. She needs Mm -hmm. to get her out. Mm -hmm. But... Bill is, I mean, if we really want to break down gender in this film, Bill really is the, uh, I don't want to say perfection of the male uh, through, he's he's this, you know, he's a fatherly figure. He's charming. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sexy. In, in, in that kind of in, in that in film, that yeah. sense that he is right he's 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 very alluring and um, magnetic right. is probably better and he's kind of this like fatherly sexy dad yeah even <laughs> I mean, to like, Uma Thurman like he yeah. treated her like a daughter but obviously there was more to it than that just right. in like how he held her hand to a certain point so that she could become the assassin she was I mean, becoming. Oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. beginning, that opening scene in the second one where you get to see the wedding mm-hmm. and him, the reveal of him, like uh, very, The Searchers. Have you seen The Searchers? No. I, Watch The Searchers, guys. <laughs> Watch more movies. Watch, yeah, yeah. Watch more movies. Watch more movies. I've seen <laughs> scenes from The Searchers uh, for film classes, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, he, uh, it's very just like open and like that's where the Western is really brought in and you know, it's, that's one of the funnest things about those movies is the difference between in tone between Eastern and Western in both those films. Oh yeah, Bill's home is straight out of a Western. Oh yeah. yeah he's a cowboy. Mm-hmm. He is a cowboy. And that, that entire last scene, you know, like where he's just like, we're out of nowhere, like from behind the fruit bowl, tranquilizer dart. Yep. And he's just like, <laughs> gotcha. And she's like, oh. Right in the knee. Oh, that's so great. And then, well, yeah, he's like, don't take it out, leave it in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, God, these movies. Yeah, really, he is a nurturing man, mm-hmm. despite the fact that his you profession is You can see why she would fall in love with him. It's oh, not like easily. he pretended to be something else. It's like no. they were assassins. They were both murderers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, 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 
<laughs> I'm trying to come up with the right. With la- I'm trying or... to re- come up with the right lay word. Okay. Like you lay in the bed that you make, kind of thing. It's yeah. like you have to, and if you surround yourself with murderers and killers and people that are just constantly backstabbing everybody that you know, even if you're part of a squad, mm-hmm. you you have to understand that these betrayals can come. And right. he's not even the one that betrayed her. She betrayed him. Mm-hmm. She left him. Mm-hmm. And it's not as it if... broke like, his heart. Right? And, and that's why he reacted as such. I mean, these are assassins. So when you break the heart of an assassin, prepare to die, essentially. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when it comes to these blows, it's not just like a typical relationship ending. It's like one of you has to die. Mm-hmm. And that's such an interesting part of all of this is the extremes that it goes to. Just over an emotional um, aspect of a relationship. You know, like you hurt me. And so I just want to erase you from history completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a part of the allure in regards to Bill is that he is deadly while he's also loving and nurturing. You want to be on the side that's loving and nurturing. But then as soon as you cross him, I mean, she knew that too and leaving him, but she had probably hoped for the best. Um, I'm just thinking of the scene when he comes to the church to walk her down the aisle and he's promising all these things because he does care about her. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you fucked me you over. Fu- yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And she knows that too. Like she's so scared because mm-hmm. she's like, I know what I did was wrong. And he even asks her later on when she's got the 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 old truth juice mm-hmm. in her. <laughs> he says like, Did you actually think that your life would have worked out there? And she's like, No, wow. but I would have had my daughter. Yeah, I would have had, had baby. baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. When you look at this film. Out of all of the women, the only truly vindictive woman is Elle. And it's just because she never quite has enough. What a good bad guy, too. What a good foil to like Bill being the ultimate bad guy. Because none of them are actually bad guys except for Elle. Elle is like actually vindictive and very nasty. And and yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, I love um, in in both Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2, there are several instances where. And I noticed this rewatching them for this podcast and really trying to take in the gender specifics and the overuse and underuse of sexuality. Uh, and it's crazy. I never noticed it before that it's a common <laughs> trait that goes throughout it. Uh, every time a female character uses their sexuality, they are using it to essentially kill mm-hmm. a man. You mm-hmm. think about the Oren Ishii. Uh, cartoon where she's she grows up and she murders the man that killed her parents by pretending to be this prostitute yeah and uh, Daryl Hannah seduces Bud by saying like here's money and all that and she's acting really nice and everything just to have a snake come out and grab her and and grab him and um, there's another one in the first one uh, that I can't remember because of Bloody Mary well, no-go <laughs> um, also kills that man who's hitting on her at the bar. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah. about. Right, yeah. And she says, like, do you want to penetrate me? Mm-hmm. Or is it I who have now penetrated okay. you? And he was just like, you can't. And the fact that she's dressed up in a schoolgirl uniform oh, and he's an old girl. man. Yeah. Come on. Like, it's perfect. I'm trying yes. not to slam like this <laughs> on the table. It, about, how, <laughs> about how perfect that is. It's, it's amazing. I mean, and you have all these other characters, too. I guess when we say that, you know, Daryl Hannah uh, L is the only vindictive one on Divas, you know, we also have, what's her name? Gogo, I believe. Gogo, right? Oh, uh, oh yeah. Orenishi's, yeah. like, Orenishi. sidekick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's also very, you know, evil. 
And we just don't see she enough of her backstory killing. to know. Mm-hmm. That's true. Who she it would have been nice to have a little bit more of a backstory on her mm-hmm. because she was such an intriguing character. And despite her scene with Uma Thurmer's character being kind of small, just like the small fighting scene, what she brings to the table is really interesting and in the overall arch of it. Are you like, saying that because they fight on tables? They do fight on tables. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I really like the idea that there's like 88 or however many of them there are of the Crazy 88s. Mm-hmm. And that are mixed of men and women, but it looks like it's predominantly men. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a couple women thrown in there, um, mm-hmm. and they're all just, but they're all like, you know, uniformed black black masks. They all look the same. Reservoir dogs out. Right, yeah. exactly. And and that and they can't. All of them together can't stop her. Mm-hmm. And then there's just this one little girl mm-hmm. who just has a, a ball and chain and just comes down <laughs> there and just almost and not almost beats her. Oh yeah. And that's that's um what you said before I uh, before I forgot. What? Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Um you uh <laughs> you had uh you said you wish that we got a backstory on Gogo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit more. I love the fact that we don't get backstory on any of these people. And even and even the divas. Like I love that we you know, we get a little bit of backstory on the bride because she's our main character. We get mm-hmm. to see uh, how she... We don't get to see where she came from and who she was before this. We get to see her training to become why she is able to get out of certain situations mm-hmm. and everything. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can come up with a, a better uh, metaphor for how women feel on a day-to-day basis than being buried alive in a coffin by Michael Madsen and some Mm -hmm. beer-drinking, fat, short, hairy dude. I leave it to you to do that. Like, that's got to be exactly what it feels like. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea that we don't stretch out. We don't see where Oren Ishii really came from. We see... Well, I guess... We do. Yeah, in a a sense, like, we get these little tiny flashbacks, but, like, Elle, we don't know where she came from. The only reason Veronica Green, we don't know where she came from. Bud. I would have loved, like, a Bud movie. Because he's such a... He's so... He's so sad. Like, he's the saddest part. the trailer. And he's the weakest of them. He is the weakest. He's the weakest one. That Like, he's just... He's living in a trailer. Working at a strip bar. Ruck it. Yeah, he's just like cleaning shit up, like at things, and like he's getting bitched at by his boss, and just talked down to. And but he's taking to. it because he has these skills to do something about it if he wanted to. But he's just taking it all. You know what I mean? Well, like, he's, got this, he's got this. He's got this hidden pride, mm-hmm. you know, that he he's embarrassed of like or stoic. doesn't want. Like he tells Bud, he tells Bill that he he hocked his Hattori Hanzo. So he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I got rid of that, but he actually kept yeah, he it, right. and he lied about it. And I think that that's one of the sweetest things, and that actually ends. That leads into uh, Beatrix being able to beat Elle as she she finds it in a golf mm-hmm. bag in the back. And it's mm-hmm. to Bud, the only man I ever loved. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, really the only reason we get any Elle backstory, and we don't really. But we do know that she and Beatrix received the same grooming. And so you have Elle, who's like this radical evil, and Beatrix, who's like this radical good. Mm. And you well, see, like, morally ambiguous. Morally ambiguous. <laughs> but um, going through the same path and seeing where they veered off from each other. And that's why you know Elle is kind of, like, evil in her core. Yeah. That she, the way she reacted to these scenarios is very different from Beatrix. But also... Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Also, leading back to the first scene you see with Beatrix and Bill in the time frame they're just like at a campfire 
like talking about. I think he's playing the yeah. flute. And, and he tells he tells him uh, he he tells her the story of uh, Pyme. Yeah, and like I mean, that little okay, like, joke, that little legend. Mm-hmm. So you almost don't know if it's just a loving relationship. I don't know if she really wanted to get anything out of it, but then ended up getting everything out of it. Because then he says, I'm going to train. Yeah, I think she yeah, was. Like, cause the way she that she, him. the way that she looks at exactly. him at that fire is like, you can see that this, this, she's very young she and him. she's very impressionable, Exactly. but she looks like she, like she's, no matter how young or impressionable she may be, she's still the character that we've come to know throughout the first film. And we know that she's strong. We know that she's smart. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't just teach yeah. something like that. You don't teach being smart in that sense. Like you can, she can see things for what they are. And the way she's looking at Bill, and I don't think that Bill ever lied to her. No, I, don't I don't think, think that Bill so ever either. tricked her. I think that they genuinely do care for one another. I think Bill's idea of, I don't think he has a very um, platonic idea of uh, love. I don't think that he, you know, because like he's apparently he's been messing around with Elle while Beatrix was an assassin and they were still messing around too. Mm-hmm. Unless, I'm is it sure. inferred that he went to Elle after? After Beatrix had left? Well, yeah. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. could ever reach the level of B uh, in terms of how Bill felt about her. Right. right. So, you and know, that's why regard- it she, haunts him and, and, and he Elle keeps her too. Alive. Like for Elle, she's like, I can never be what she was to you. Right. And maybe that's where a lot of the jealousy stems from that she can never be good enough. She can never be loved enough by Bill. Right. Um, and she's always trying to reach that level with him and never mm-hmm. can because right. she's got a little bit of a sad story. And I think it's kind of overlooked because she's such a. A nasty person. Yeah, she's yeah, very we vicious. Don't, yeah, we don't see a nasty lot of... Nasty woman. Nasty. Nasty women. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, we were speaking about consent earlier in the podcast. Um, and yeah, I think maybe that campfire scene and her deciding to take the training and him trusting her to receive said training, that's like their best mutual form of consent that they mm-hmm. have. This is like what their relationship is built on. This is the dance. Mm-hmm. They dance. Consensually, mm-hmm. does he? When she, when Beatrix shows back, which, when Beatrix eventually shows up to Bill's house, mm-hmm. does he ask about L? Because the last he heard of L was like, mm-hmm. "I'm on my way," and, and, she, then, and then Beatrix is the one that shows up. Yeah, yeah, so no, I think almost it's he must have anticipated her coming, right? Because he almost as a prop had um, BB with him. And Uma Thurman's character enters, and she's ready to kill Bill. And then there's BB going, bang, bang, I killed you, Mommy. Mm-hmm. And she pretends, and she falls over, and all of a sudden, like, her reason for being there kind of is Changes. cast away for a moment. And she's there for her child, realizing that what I've been fighting for all this time, avenging you, you're here and you're real. And then Bill is an afterthought, mm-hmm. and Elle is totally just like, <laughs> forget Elle, you know, because <laughs> it's just about that moment right, where yeah. Uma uh, stops being the woman that's out for revenge and then realizes, I'm still a mother. I need to protect. Yes. Mm-hmm. It went from, like, kill for the sake of killing to protect. Yeah, because she could have mm-hmm. just Care, killed Bill. Caretaker. <laughs> in front of mm-hmm. the child, but she knew to play the part for the sake of the child. Right. Which goes in line with, you know, the strength in protection and in love and mm-hmm. in that mother role that she didn't even realize she had anymore. She thought that the child was dead 
and she had nothing left to lose. But then at that final scene, she has everything to lose at that yeah. point if she doesn't play along. Mm-hmm. She had to play along until she could get Bill alone. <laughs> she had to get him, yeah, she had to get her over into a, a get BB to a safe space. Yep. And and then she once she's asleep, she goes up, she gets up and she goes down there and she yeah, confronts calm him. Conversation. Well, Very well, calm I mean, she goes there to kill him. But but because of the trank respectfully. dart, it's like sit. Oh, true. She's like, he's like sit and he's like we're gonna fight, but we're gonna work this out real right. quick because because it, it really <laughs> does show the inadequacies that. Um, Beatrix has been running from this whole time. While she's been chasing after these people, she's also been running from her own decisions that led to this. Mm-hmm. And even though... <laughs> <laughs> I finished my Bloody Mary. She finished it. <laughs> even though um, they even say in the film, uh, Bill said uh, Bill overreacted. You know, she's like, he even said that. that's like, an understatement. So I might have overreacted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says that, and, but at the same time, she did things that were going to get consequences, mm-hmm. and she involved other people willingly, knowing that those consequences, knowing that those consequences were going to happen. Mm-hmm. If they didn't happen, she wouldn't have. She would have been surprised. She says that at the wedding, and. Or the wedding rehearsal, mm-hmm. and she has all of these friends and all of these people and these preacher, preacher and the uh, the black piano man, played by Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> teen heartthrob. <laughs> she gets them all killed because she betrayed Bill, and she has been running from that for the whole all both movies. Mm-hmm. The idea that she has responsibility, that she has something that she needs to admit to herself. That she did something wrong and she handled it wrong. Mm-hmm. She could have gone back to Bill and and explained the situation, but she didn't. She was scared. She could only think about protecting her baby, and we can understand that. But Bill, at the same time, is like, think about how I felt. Mm-hmm. I thought you were dead. I mourned you. That's the best. Yeah, I, I mourned you. you for months. And then finally, I was just like, I was over mourning, and I wanted to figure out who killed you. So I started looking into it, and what do I fucking find? You're like, alive. how mad would you be? You can understand that from a human point you of view. You can get oh, his point of view. And I love how they, they give you all of that information in the first film. Mm-hmm. And they give you even more of that information at the beginning of the second film. But you never take Bill's account. You never take Bill's uh, version of this into account. Because the name of the movie is Kill Bill. Kill. We're here to kill Bill. He's yeah. the bad guy. And he is the bad guy. And he does terrible things. But at the end, you're shown this guy who goes, look, we'll fight. You can get what you want. You'll probably win. But I want you to admit to me, but mainly to yourself, that you kind of did you're something wrong. really mm-hmm. messed up back mm-hmm. there. And that... Yes, I overreacted, but my reaction wasn't. It was uh, justified. It was just justified, yeah. But like, it wasn't. It wasn't un. She she knew it was coming. Her overreaction. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like unexpected. Right. You know, and I think that that's something that, in the end, in the end of Kill Bill Volume Two, you see that she's she really has to come to terms Mm -hmm. with this idea that maybe she's she's been fighting for the right thing, but maybe she hasn't been putting the blame on herself enough. Mm-hmm. And that's a real character moment. That's a real, like, 
a spin when there's only like 15 minutes left of the movie <laughs> and you completely re-spin everything this character's been through, that's intense. Oh, definitely. And you see that scene after the Kill Bill moment where she's with Phoebe in that motel room and she's in the bathroom weeping and she's weeping with ecstasy and joy mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. what she has. But you have to imagine that she's also weeping with regret and weeping with the mess that happened because of all of these choices and all of these actions. I think she loved Bill still I think at the did. end, and I think that she mourns him a little mm-hmm. bit, but that the the idea that she got B.B. back... She never knew that that was going to happen. Exactly, right. yeah. She, she just she, wanted to go and That's what she says, Bill. thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, this whole new life opened up to her because the way that her character is portrayed, if she were to die throughout all of this, but did as much damage as she could, she would have been happy to have died having done as much damage as she could. But having BB in the end was something she never anticipated and ways the audience didn't anticipate until the end because we were mm-hmm. with her on the ride, just like killing, slashing, dicing. You know, it's like, fuck all these people. <laughs> you took my baby from me. But then all of a sudden, the child's there and she has the baby with her and there's this whole new life that opens up to her. Because imagine the child wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And she just went and killed Bill strictly. Then what? Mm-hmm. What would her, you know, she would have had her revenge, that, surely. In, in but then way, what? In this ended, way, yeah. she saves the girl. She the saves, the girl. saves the girl. And herself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's that's the crying. Is mm-hmm. that that's her finally opening up and letting all of these emotions from everything that's happened. I mean, going all the way back to the beginning, and then striking that all the way back to the end uh, when she wakes up in the hospital. And she lets out that guttural pain when she realizes that the baby baby's gone. gone. Anymore. And it's it's this kind of it's this kind of um, anger and rage and sadness that women normally aren't allowed to feel. to feel in film. You know, like women feel that day in day out. And mm-hmm. I guess you know, in film can be a way that how society looks at women as a whole and that's why it's very important for representation and all and right. all of i don't want to say all of that stuff as if it's dismissive it's just bloody mary I'm not, and all of that stuff uh, <laughs> not the important issues that should be right and, and she's allowed to let out this very primal just like what could be more primal than you lost mm-hmm. your child and she's allowed to just let this out and it's 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 and it's crazy i remember the first time i saw it in theaters people were like jesus yeah because it's very well acted. It's very. It, they, they, it's all in one shot. They hold on it for a very long time, and Uma Thurman's absolutely fantastic in that moment. And then fast forward to the end of the film, where she's crying in a fetal position in a bathroom, and it seems as if she's crying out of sadness or pain, just like before. Too. And then it just slowly turns to laughing and smiling to the point where she has to cover her mouth mm-hmm. and. And, and and just just this joy of she won, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like that line after 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 it fades out and it says the lioness and her cub and her cub are together once yeah, again and yeah. all is right in the jungle. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. it's perfect. And that's what it's all about. And we didn't know that 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 that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we found out at the end of the first at one. The end. Right. Um, bringing up how she was in the uh, the hospital. You know, allowing herself to get ugly and mm-hmm. um, just just looking at it from um, the point of view as the viewer, looking at movies, how women, you know, even when they're sad and angry, they're still like so beautiful and 
alluring and still sexual. Yeah, she doesn't wear makeup. She just mm-hmm. yeah, she's In just like very movie, raw. Right? No. She's very raw. You know, she's she's crying. You can you can tell that it's real. They're like there's spit in her mouth she's like kind of frothing at the mouth like you see that there you in the beginning at the hospital when she's realizing that the baby's gone you see it too when um bill shoots her with the um the dart in the knee and she's screaming but i would have had baby you know Mm -hmm. she's crying she's angry there's like froth at her mouth and then at the end too it's like um she's not just this sexualized being she's all-encompassing she's fully realizing her emotions and allowing it to happen and it's so unbelievably real because we Uma Thurman we in this back. movie man like where Killer. is she <laughs> I don't know like she disappeared and came back for Kill Bill and then she's just like off again yeah, off I don't again. know what she has done recently I mean I guess she's raising Ethan Hawke's kids <laughs> technically wait whose kids Ethan Hawke yeah they got married oh, I didn't know they, they were kids. together yeah, yeah. And they got divorced they would have been because oh, I, I think he was, like, uh, sleeping with the maid or something. Oh, like, come on. Which, dude, come on. Why is it always a thing? Come on, dude. You I wish that wasn't Thurman the thing. at home. What the right. fuck, bro? <laughs> uh, maybe he was intimidated. Yeah. That's Ooh. what they always say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking back to just, yeah, as you were saying, that she's realizing all of these things as time goes on. And she's coming to terms with the fact she's having this catharsis that she never got to have when she was young. But I think as women were raised from a young age, not on purpose, but just to act a certain way mm-hmm. in society and to respond in a certain way to questions or dialogue. And it's great to see this character, this very strong female character, take all of this training, societal training, but also Pyme's training, and evolve. She uses all of the facets of what it takes to be just a human mm-hmm. in order to succeed. When she first goes to get a Hattori Hanso sword, she fakes that she even knows how to speak any other language other than English. She just fakes her way until she realizes, like, no, I have the power now. I'm going to now ask my question, mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask for this training. And that scene where she's buried in the underground in that very tiny coffin, just that quiet strength that she has with the with like the fist long punch mm-hmm. all the way to get out so quiet strength and then ultimately how she defeats bill is this training that he never received that was never taught That's to anyone right, by her made, never told anyone else no. the five point what, what is it called yeah finger death punch is that what it's called heart stopping five finger heart point exploding heart, heart technique. technique yes that's yes. what it is and he's like <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Mary and all, I got through that. I may have that taught is... you the five-point hard exploding technique. I mean, there's. I think there's like yeah. two more words in there. Uh... <laughs> but the fact... Everyone knows. People know. But she's taking all of this and knowing when to use it and how to use this mm-hmm. knowledge. Just showing her quiet strength of understanding. We were talking earlier about realizing how to react or taking the time to really understand what's the best reaction in this scenario to get me the best result. Instead of just acting with yeah, rage. Don't or come in guns blazing. Violence. Right. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Meditate. that's a hell of movies. Jesus. Those, those movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so much to... I'm, I'm happy that we actually devoted an entire half of this to Kill yeah, Bill. because that's, that's a lot. Those are good choices, too. And I remember we... Because I, I picked Sarah Connor. Stamper, you picked... Uh, Lilu and Bernadette, you picked Beatrix Kiddo. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we finally got those three together, it was like, oh, this is going to be 
a lot of fun. Because they all lend themselves to one another. Mm. We have the animalistic qualities of Lilu, the mother qualities of Sarah Connor that she's not realizing fully yet, mm-hmm. and that is Beatrix Kiddo's uh, kind of origin story is that she's this mother, she doesn't realize it yet, mm-hmm. and there's this animalistic need to seek revenge for those that have done a wrong and then the mother aspect comes in thereafter so this has been really nice it's kind of been a nice like arch and then mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a closing of circles yeah it's uh, the and uh, we wanted to talk about too uh uh we got the two new movies coming out we watched trailers before uh, mm-hmm. we got atomic blonde oh that's right coming out with charlie's Theron. and bernadette has the same haircut as charlie's Theron. <laughs> That's actually uh, direct. It's, uh, it's directed by one of the directors of John Wick. And oh, okay. You guys don't care about that because you haven't you seen it. You've brought it up several but times. But you, my this. dear listener, you care, don't you? Because you've seen John Wick and it looks good. <laughs> who are you talking to in that accent? Oh, who knows who's out there? <laughs> who knows? There's one guy that listens to us in Antarctica. Oh, very cool. Is that true? Yeah. Greetings. It could Hello. be just a computer. It could be just a computer, but computers have feelings too. That's that's true. That's mm-hmm. going to be our next our next uh, Ooh, uh, podcast is going to be strong computers in film because computers are film. not getting the representation in film that they need. They need to be respected. I'd be down for some mm-hmm. AI smart podcast, house. Though. I was going to do smart t- house. House by Disney. <laughs> I was going to do T-100 Just from throw Terminator. Just the trash on the floor. This house will clean, it, clean up. it up. And then the house that like fights everyone back. That's a weird movie. Thanks, Disney. <laughs> Thanks, Disney. Disney Channel original movies. Another podcast idea. Look, Disney's really changed its, uh, how people look at it these days, but Disney had has made some weird movies. Remember oh, the definitely. Kurt Russell, the young Kurt Russell movies? The computer wore tennis shoes? <laughs> Where Kurt Russell gets computer downloaded into his little teenager head? That's a movie. Yeah. That's a that, movie. That, that's that's a movie. <laughs> Someone made that. Somebody made that. Uh, all right, I, I think that about wraps it up for that. I think we're about to hit our uh, allotted time. <laughs> we did it! <laughs> oh, and the other movie we were talking about was uh, Colossal. Oh, yeah, Colossal. Colossal oh, yeah. and Hathaway. That looks really good. Pretty uh, pretty excited about Because that looks like uh, like the gender swap kind of thing. It's like that could have easily been Jason Sudeikis and that main character. Right. And Still Anne funny. Hathaway being like the love interest. But they changing it just makes it way better. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about those two movies. I have so movies. many questions about that movie. Me too. Oh, yeah. More excited. questions than anything. Yeah. Excited to see what they say. Questions are good going into a movie. I, definitely. Yeah. That's, I'm not going to watch any more trailers for it because I was sold on like the teaser that just kind of hinted like, Anne Hathaway's in control of a monster. I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and then I watched another trailer and I was like, oh, okay. So it's like when she's drunk, she's in control of a monster. And it's like a metaphor. I get <sighs> it. No, I don't want to watch anymore. You're done. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's what I did with Beauty and the Beast. I kind of went in cold. I saw like one trailer and then I was like, Yeah, I done. did that too. I was like, No more, no more, no more. I, I don't want to see do that. It. We should all get together and go see movies. Yeah. I think. That It'll turn so you gay. Nice. I think so. It'll turn me gay. Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. You haven't heard? <laughs> There's like a gay character gay. in it and it's going to turn you gay. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, we're all, we're gay now. We're all gay. We're just, we're slowly infiltrating. The straight world. Okay. Yeah. That's why we brought you here today. Oh my God. I knew that was a ploy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, uh, thank you, Bernadette. And thank you, Stamper, thank for you. joining me here on this uh, fun special edition episode of Drink a Bunch of Bloody Marys and Talk About Movies. <laughs> Free Bloody Marys. <laughs> and uh, thank you, dear listener. And uh, stay tuned for some more podcasts. We got some more Fast and Furious coming. Yay. Yay. And uh, also be on the lookout for some more hot takes. We're going to try and uh, 
keep up to date on them and try and get them out as earlier as we can. I mean, the Beauty and the Beast one was really fantastic. We got that out super quick. Got a lot of good plays on that. So uh, we'll keep that up. Keep listening. And uh, comment yes. if you like us because we like to see just a couple words from people that are out there. We know you're listening. We, we see the numbers. We just just, just say hi. Yeah. Say hi. Oh, and answer that question that Stamper had what earlier. Did I ask? What did what you ask? It? You were trying to figure oh, out something. That movie, The Guy. Who is dressed as oh, yeah. uh, Morpheus as a, from as the Matrix? Or no, no, Neo. no, as a Neo, Neo from, the, from Matrix. the Matrix. Up against the wall. He's up this tall, lanky guy with blonde hair, in an office setting, and he's thrusting himself against a wall. And someone talks to him, and he doesn't respond. And then the person talking just walks away, and he says, "How did he see me? I think <laughs> what is gra- that movie? I, I think I think it's Grandma's Boy. So let's see if somebody oh, can 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 figure it out. Let okay, that's it, uh, Mike Burge. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bernadette Gorman, thanks for tuning in. Stamper, I love you. (laughs) Bye-bye. crazy okay no